0: Good morning again, everyone. Welcome back for the next week of our sermon series, Echo the Lord's Prayer. Uh, If you're just joining us, we're walking through the petitions of the Lord's Prayer and seeing how the Lord's Prayer teaches us how to pray. So if you remember back to week one, we talked about how we address God in prayer. We address him as our father in heaven. And we showed how that changes the posture that we have as we go to God in prayer. Last week, we talked about Hallowed Be Your Name, and I would say, if I'm being honest, this was the most challenging thing I have had to go through when thinking about my own prayers. To start every prayer by not asking for something, not worrying about anything, but just praising God for who He is. Stepping back and getting some perspective on who I'm praying to, taking the time to just be in awe of the greatness of God, and that he even allows me to come to him in prayer. And last week, we also adjusted our expectations of prayer, where I think most people see prayer as the chance to get God to move in my direction. We learned that hallowed be thy name actually sets us up to move towards God's direction. That prayer is not about getting my requests answered, but about conforming my life to what God has already said. And that's a huge challenge. And I challenged you last week to go this whole past week saying, hallowed be thy name or some variation of that with every prayer that you said. And I did my best to do it. I'll be honest, I wasn't perfect at it. But I will say that it changed the way that I prayed. It changed my my attitude as I brought my requests to God. It, it brought a calm and a peace over all my prayers to know That God's name is, is holy and that he, who he is, is everything that I've needed and everything that I will need. So we're continuing the Lord's Prayer this week with the second petition of the Lord's Prayer, which is your kingdom come. And I got to be honest, I, I wasn't really sure how to structure this sermon because the idea of the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven is a very complex topic in the Bible. If you were to just search the word kingdom on your Bible gateway, maybe you would find that there are over 150 times where the New Testament talks about the kingdom and the vast majority, in fact, over three fourths of those references to the kingdom are from the gospels specifically Jesus talking about the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. And so I wasn't really sure which verses to pick from and what aspects of the kingdom to get your mind around. Um, So what I decided to do was just go through one chapter that has a number of parables about the kingdom. And I already read it for you, Matthew 13. And my hope with going through this section of scripture is that we first of all identify what the kingdom is and kind of how it works And then what that means for us. And they're not really going to be segments of this sermon. I kind of just want to walk through the text and hopefully get our minds around the idea of the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven and why we pray for it in the Lord's Prayer. So before we go through the text, I want to just dwell on the idea of a kingdom for a while. Because as Canadian citizens and people who have lived in a democracy, probably most of us for all of our life we don't really have a a clean concept of a kingdom. So I was trying to rack my mind to figure out how to explain this and uh, a pastor I was listening to gave a pretty good analogy, so I'll share that with you. Um, A kingdom is kind of like a sports team. A sports team is a group of people who are all trying to move in the same direction for the same goal, mutually benefiting each other by their actions, under the direction of one person or a group of people who they didn't choose but whom yet they still listen to. On a sports team, you'd call that the coach, right? So if you take that analogy, that's a pretty good picture of a kingdom. A bunch of people all working together, mutually benefiting each other, working for a common goal under the rule of a person or a group of people, namely a king. Now, We have to understand the kingdom in that way, because what we as North Americans very often think of when we think of government or rule or kingdom is we get to elect who we want to elect, and we get to elect them because they agree with us or we think they're going to benefit us in some way. But that's not really how Jesus' kingdom works. Uh, Jesus' kingdom is a kingdom that we didn't choose for ourselves, but that Jesus chose for us and that he rules over for our benefit, and that we, underneath his rule, all moving in the same direction, mutually benefit each other as we try to accomplish the goal that he set out in front of us. So if you have that framework for what a kingdom looks like, then you're going to understand a little bit better what Jesus is explaining to us in Matthew 13. So let's walk through the parables that Jesus tells and see if we can pull some applications for what the kingdom is and how we pray for it. The first of those parables, if you're following along in the Bible tab on this uh, page, is the parable of the sower. The parable of the sower is about a farmer who goes out and throws seed pretty recklessly, kind of everywhere he can. And there are different reactions that the seeds have depending on where they fall, some fall in a place where there is no soil. They they are quickly picked up by the birds and some fall in places that are good for a little while, but there's not enough soil there to take deep roots. And there are some that grow up amongst weeds and the weeds choke out those plants and there's still others who fall among good soil and they grow and take root and produce a crop. And Jesus says the, the distinguishing factor between these four groups of seeds are, well, really what kind of soil they fell into. And the soil, he says, is their understanding, their depth in the word of God. So he says, you know, the deep soil, the rich soil, that is those who understand the word of God and that word of God takes root in them. Contrast that with the seed that falls on the path where there is no dirt, there's no soil, there's there's no understanding there. And The word, it simply is taken away. So what does this teach us? Well, it teaches us a couple things. First thing it teaches us is that the kingdom of God is a kingdom of words. As Jesus explains the parable of the sower, he tells us that the seed is the word of God, the message of the gospel, the good news that Jesus has died on the cross and has risen again to prove that he is the sinless son of God who takes away our sins and will take us to heaven someday. The kingdom is a kingdom of words. Now that is in contrast to many other kingdoms that we know. Uh, if we think maybe just of our government right now. Our government is not a government, not a kingdom of words. It's a kingdom, yes, of laws that are communicated to us by words, but those Words are then enforced by police officers or government officials, bylaw officers, etc, etc. It's not really a kingdom of words. It's also not a kingdom of words because it's actually a a physical place on the ground. You can go to the edge of Canada. (laughs) You can find where Canada stops and the rest of the world continues. But because the kingdom of heaven is a kingdom of words, of words that can be communicated from a couple feet away through someone's mouth into another person's ears, through miles away by writing down something or sending an email, by thousands of miles away through the the miracle of the internet, the kingdom of heaven can be spread all over the place. And so we understand that the kingdom of heaven is not about being one place in the ground or one church in one location. It's about anywhere God's word is heard and it is understood. Now, another thing that we learn from the parable of the sower is that the kingdom of heaven is like a garden. In contrast to the way maybe we think of our kingdom of Canada, where you become a citizen at one point and you are a citizen until you rescind your citizenship, the kingdom of heaven is different. It's, well, it's like a garden where seeds are planted. And yes, there is one moment at which that seed breaks open and becomes a plant in the soil that it is planted in. But from that moment on, that plant, it needs care. It needs water. It needs sunlight. It needs to have the weeds pulled from around it. It needs maybe extra fertilizer thrown on it. It needs to be pruned at certain times. All these things need to happen in order for this plant to grow, even if it's in good soil. And so it's important for us to remember that as these words, this kingdom of words comes out into the world, it will create faith. But the kingdom of heaven is a place where Special care is needed for those who believe. Now, this happens through people who speak words, not just the words that bring us to faith, but the words that keep us in the faith. This is one of the reasons that the kingdom of heaven is a place that we renew ourselves in every week when we hear our pastor preach and read the scriptures every day as we are in the scriptures in our devotional life, every week or month as we're with our life group in community, speaking to other Christians, that watering, that pruning, that all happens in the kingdom of heaven. And on the opposite side of this, we can understand that Being a Christian is something we can fall away from. In the same way that there were seeds that went into the ground and they were either burned by the sun or they were choked out by the weeds, there are those who can have true, genuine faith, but then lose it because they don't have the necessary care in order to thrive and survive. And so we understand that the kingdom of heaven is not something that you're in and you're always in. You're in and you can take it easy, but it's it's something where we need that constant renewal, that constant care from our pastor, from fellow Christians, from the resources that have been produced in written form and in audio form for us by the church. God has so many ways to take care of us, but we need those. We also understand that this is a kingdom that happens in community. I already mentioned that community can grow you by pruning you and watering you with the words of God. But understand that as this sower throws his seed out, the areas of the ground are the things that determine whether a seed grows or doesn't grow. In other words, one seed and another seed don't fall next to each other and one grows and the other doesn't know, if, if a seed falls in good soil, the other seeds that fall around it in that same patch of ground also grow in that good soil. And actually, as plants grow, you know this, that they'll, they'll start to intertwine their roots and they'll become stronger against the elements around them because they're standing together. The kingdom of heaven is something that thrives when it is found in community. As Christians gather together to hold each other accountable, to encourage one another, to help each other through the tough times. Because the kingdom of heaven isn't just about a status, it's about a lifestyle. It's about growing constantly in the word of God. So that's the parable of the sower. The next parable that Jesus tells is the parable of the wheat and the weeds. In the parable of the wheat and the weeds, Jesus says that there is a farmer who throws seeds. But that same night after those wheat seeds are put into the ground, the farmer's enemy comes and he throws weed seeds down next to those wheat seeds. And the farmer's servants come and say, didn't you plant good seed? The farmer says an enemy did this. So the the servants say, well, do you want us to pull up the weeds? And the master says, No, let them both grow until the harvest time, and then we will separate them. So what is Jesus teaching us about the kingdom in this parable? Well, what he's doing is answering the question for us, why do so many things that are bad happen to the kingdom of heaven? You know, it would be easy for us as Christians to think, you know, we got God on our side like Jesus, the sinless son of God, the miracle worker who raised people from the dead and healed the blind and the mute and the lame, like he's on our side, things should be going pretty well for us as Christians. It'd be the same as if you're like playing a basketball game at the YMCA and LeBron James is on your team and yet your team is down by 25 points at halftime. You would say this doesn't make sense. We have the best player And yet we're still losing. And isn't that how we feel sometimes as Christians? We think to ourselves, why is it that God allows these bad things to happen to our church? Why is it that God takes away this person that we value so much? Why is it that God allows Christians to suffer like they do all across the world? Why is it that God allows those people to say those things about the Christian church that that aren't even true or are exaggerated? Why is it that God just lets me be sad sometimes and doesn't seem to fix it? Why is it that I'm trying so hard and it seems like nothing is getting done? Why, God, do these bad things happen to me? I'm a Christian, I'm one of yours. I'm wheat in the field. Why won't you just pull up the weeds? And the answer that that Jesus gives through the parable is because if you pull up the weeds, then you'll pull up the wheat also. See, what he means is that if you try to eradicate sin if you try to get rid of all the evil people, if you try to legislate away sin, if you try to shut up those who want to oppose the Christian faith, you are going to actually do more harm to the kingdom of heaven than you are going to help it. Now, this goes contrary to everything we think about when we think of a kingdom. We might think of it in national terms again. If a country wants to conquer they're going to eradicate the people who live in a certain land. Or if they're being infiltrated by spies or they're being attacked by another nation, they're going to want to drive those people out of their nation to keep their nation safe and pure. But Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is not like that. He says the kingdom of heaven is going to be a place where there is wheat and weeds right next to each other. Now, what does this look like practically? Well, I think there are two applications. There's a macro application and a micro application. On a macro level, the Christian church is never going to be accepted. Satan, the prince of this age, rules the kingdoms of darkness that exist in this present world. And they are diametrically opposed to what God is doing through his word in his kingdom right here, right now. And so as the Christian church exists in Canada or anywhere else in the world, it's not going to be accepted insofar as it is actually preaching and doing what the kingdom of heaven is accomplishing. In fact, I think you can go as far as to say if the church is being relatively accepted in a culture, it's probably because they've lost the message of the kingdom of heaven. So, as we, as Christians in this nation at this time, look out at the world, we should not be surprised when people on Twitter or people on the news or people who live across the street think Christians are either bigoted, unintelligent, or are against everything that their society stands for. We shouldn't be surprised by that. We shouldn't also strive to be accepted in the culture. We shouldn't look fit in with everyone else. It would be actually wrong for us to to think that at the end of the day, the world around us is going to look at the church and say, those are really good people for our society. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't do good. That doesn't mean that as Christians, we won't serve other people and won't be noticed for our good service. But let's never once think that the, the church will be accepted by the sinful world around us. Then, on a micro level, in our church, in our seats, in our congregation, the wheat and the weeds will grow up next to each other. There will be those in our church who are wheat. They are part of the kingdom of heaven. They believe the gospel. They live their life knowing that gospel and living from it. And there will be those who won't. They'll be in church because they like the music, or they like the pastor, or they like feeling superior to other people in their knowledge, or they like feeling like a good person, or they feel that being a Christian is just the way that their family always operated, so they'll operate that way. Maybe they like the resources of the church or feel that the church can give them something they want. It it could be a number of different things, but the Bible is clear that will happen in our church. So what does that teach us about the kingdom of heaven? Well, that as we live our Christian life as part of God's kingdom, as citizens of that kingdom, that as we look at other people, we don't judge success or a lack of success by behavior. It's easy for us to look at a church or at a Christian And say, because they are doing this or because they're not doing that, they are or are not good. See, the the kingdom of heaven is a kingdom of words. It's what we learned in the parable of the sower. And so what we do as Christians is we first of all preach the word. We preach the word on Sunday mornings. We preach the word in our private conversations. We preach the word in our homes as families. And we trust that that word, as it is seed that is going to be sown, is going to grow in the places where there is good soil. It doesn't mean we don't throw it in the places where maybe weeds might grow. We still throw it there because we trust that the word of God is going to work. It also means that as we look at the world around us or in our congregation, we don't try to pull up the weeds. We don't go on a a witch hunt trying to find the people in our church who don't really believe. We simply preach the gospel to them and correct them when they don't live in line with what the scriptures say. And we pray that those words convert their heart to belief. As we look out at the world, we don't try to convert the world to live like Christians. We understand that, that that the only power we have is the power of words, the power of words about Jesus resurrected to prove himself to be the son of God. And so we don't try to legislate morality. We we don't try to get Christian rights from our government. We simply say, whatever God has given us at this time in the world's history, we're okay with that and We're going to preach the word regardless. The next parable that Jesus tells is the parable of the mustard seed. It's a short little parable where he says that a mustard seed was planted and yet it grows into one of the most beautiful plants in the garden. What does Jesus mean by this? He means that the kingdom of heaven is going to start in an unimpressive way. But as it grows, it will become more and more impressive. So what does this look like? Well, for Christians, it can be really easy to be attracted to the impressive things, the flashy things, the things that are big and shiny. Whether that be a program that a church operates, a charismatic leader, a a big effect or splash that a church is having in a community, we can be attracted to those things and think that's the good work. That's the right way to do things. And while I'll never say that any one program or any one preacher is necessarily bad because they are popular, we we sometimes see those things and we forget that the kingdom of heaven happens in unimpressive ways. Let me just give you a couple applications of this. The way that we come to faith is either through the preached word or through the sacrament of baptism. Like the cosmic shifting of our afterlife from being on a road to hell to a road to heaven is done by just a couple words out of the mouth of a sinful person or by a little bit of water connected with the sounds of the name of God. It's unimpressive. We might be tempted to think that doesn't seem like all that big of a deal. But it's huge because those few words, that little water connected with the word, it can make a Christian who will spend the rest of his or her life spreading that same message and bringing many more into the faith. As we think about the way that our church operates, are we unimpressed by the little things that we do? Does it seem like not that big of a deal or not that impressive just to Share the gospel with your family member, or your neighbor, the person at the gym or on your sports team, the person you're having coffee with. Does that seem unimpressive? That's the mustard seed. It's the small little ways that Christians spread the good news of the kingdom and how the kingdom is planted and becomes something so much more impressive. As you think about your baptism, Does it seem like an unimpressive little moment in your life? Or do you remember it as the shifting of your afterlife? That moment when God said unequivocally once and for all, this one is my child. I put my name on him or her. As you think about the Lord's Supper, a little piece of bread, a little sip of wine. Does it seem like not that big of a deal? That we haven't had it for months now? Or do you realize that in that moment, the eternal son of God, the immortal human being who resurrected from the grave is with that bread and wine to go into your body to forgive your sins and make you immortal? See, the unimpressive things, they become beautiful, impressive things in the kingdom of heaven. And so as we look around at the Christians in our church, the Christians in our city, they may not be polished, perfect products, but that's just how God likes it. In his kingdom, we and our words and the sacraments that he has given us, they're the mustard seeds of the kingdom of heaven. The last parable that I want to touch on today then is the parable of the yeast. Jesus says a little yeast worked into 60 pounds of dough and it worked all the way through the dough. And if you've ever been a baker, maybe you picked up baking during the quarantine, you know how this works. A little bit of yeast can work through the whole dough. It doesn't have to be very much. So what is Jesus teaching us? It's teaching us that the kingdom of heaven is pervasive. The kingdom of heaven, once it takes even a little bit of root in the life of one person or the life of a community, it can't help itself but spread. So what does this mean for us? Recently, I was reading a 60-page report on why Christianity is declining in the United States. It was a report prepared by the American Enterprise Institute and a man named Lyman Stone. He's a Lutheran who's actually working in Hong Kong. And in his 60-page report, he tried to control for all sorts of different factors as to why some churches are surviving in North America and why some are dying. And even though he controlled for almost every factor you can imagine, things like what theological tradition a church came from, how long the church has existed, the gender, ethnicity, or age of the pastor, uh, the type of families that live around the church, the ethnic background of the church, the socioeconomic background of the church, every single factor you can think of. When he controlled for it, he found that the churches that are doing the best right now, the ones who are staying alive in this era when it seems like Christianity is dying in North America, are the congregation's who know the scriptures and teach them to their children. That's it. Which you could have learned from the parable of the East. If we're actually willing to preach the word and to teach it to our children, to know it, to live by it, to be constantly intaking it and growing in it, the kingdom of heaven will grow. I was meditating on this thought this week. As a pastor, I'm, I'm called to do a lot of things. And, and sometimes it can be a challenge to know exactly what to do. And so I wondered, is my job about growing a church? Or is it about growing Christians? As I meditated on that thought, I, I thought, it's definitely the latter. Well, some might think the pastor is here to grow the church to grow the numbers, to grow the offerings, to grow the impact. That's not how the kingdom of heaven works. The kingdom of heaven happens when a little yeast is worked in the dough and that yeast over time works through the entire dough. My job, your job, is to simply grow Christians. Because when Christians hear the word, when that seed is planted, when that seed is raised up to plant, then it pervades throughout that person's family, that person's workplace, and eventually more and more hear that message and the kingdom of heaven grows. So that's what the kingdom of heaven is, at least from this beginning part of Matthew chapter 13. So when we pray for it, what are we asking for? Well, first of all, we're praying that God's word would do its work among us. That starts in me. When I pray your kingdom come, Jesus, I am praying that God would preach his word to me. That his word would once again ring in my ears, that it would be pressed down into my soul so that it becomes the most real thing in my life. So that I think of myself first as a citizen of heaven before I even think of myself as a citizen of Canada or any other worldly municipality. But then I also ask in that prayer that his kingdom would come among the people around me. That his word would come from my mouth and others' mouths to bring more to, first of all, hear the gospel and believe it and understand it, but then also to be raised up in it. So when you pray for the kingdom of heaven to come, you are praying that God's gospel does its work. Now, why would you pray for that? Maybe it seems like a dumb question, but it's worth asking if we're going to understand the whole of the Lord's prayer. First of all, it's because the kingdom of heaven doesn't come because of our work. We were brought into the kingdom of heaven by the unimpressive work of somebody who preached the gospel to us or someone who by God's hand baptized us. And so we pray that that continues to happen in unimpressive ways to bring Christians from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God. We also pray it because it is the only way that it is going to continue to happen across the world. In places where it seems like the worldly powers are completely against the preaching of the gospel, we know that God and his kingdom is pervasive. It only needs an inch before it starts to take miles. And we can see that all across the world. But there's one last thing that this prayer for the kingdom of heaven does. It prays for the end. In the parable of the wheat and the weeds, the master says that at the end, we are going to pull all up and we are going to sort them and we're going to throw the weeds into the blazing furnace where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. And if you're paying attention, you might think to yourself, hold on, wheat and weeds don't have tears or teeth. (laughs) So what does he mean? what the master means, what Jesus means, is that at the end of the world, the kingdom is going to be fully realized. Right now, we are ones who are citizens of that kingdom, but we are not physically living in a place, in a a physical kingdom of heaven or of God. So we pray that it will happen. We'll pray that Jesus will come back and establish his physical kingdom here. Because on that day... The weeds will go away. The darkness will be eliminated by the light. All that is evil, all that is wrong, it will be made untrue because the kingdom of God will have finally come. So as we live right now in the now but the not yet of the kingdom of heaven, that we are in it now, but it has not yet fully been realized, we follow Christ's rule. We see him as our king. We see him as the one whom we follow. And as we follow him, we mutually benefit each other. It may look unimpressive. It may look like just simple little words, a bit of water, some bread and some wine. But it is the work of the kingdom of heaven. And as slow as it might seem, just like a farmer planting seed in his field, that kingdom will do its work And the crop will come. And we can't control that. Only God can. But we preach the word because that is what God has called us to do. We ask God for this because it is the most important thing in all of our prayers. The most important request we can make of God. As we come to him before we ask for anything for ourselves or anything for our earthly lives, we ask that God's gospel does his work. So I pray as you pray this week, the Lord's Prayer, that when you think of that petition, your kingdom come, you pray that, that first of all, you get on board. That you follow the king. That you learn what he has to say. So that in small ways, you can advance the kingdom through the power of that word. And then that as you would pray it, You know that even though it may seem like nothing is really happening around you, slowly but surely God's kingdom is pervading wherever it is being preached. It is a prayer of conquering, and yet it is also a prayer of humility. It is a prayer to see us doing something that is changing the course of history as people's souls are being saved, and yet it seems like as we do it... Nothing impressive is really happening. So take comfort, brothers and sisters, as you pray to our Father, hallow his name and then pray that his kingdom would come. Amen.